Thank you for joining the Together Church Podcast. We're so glad that you've joined us today. Our prayer is, is that today's message will inspire you and help you move closer to Jesus. We hope you enjoy today's message. I hope that in week one of our series called Don't Drink the Poison, I hope you got a lot out of it. Um, anybody able to put any of that stuff to use this week? Have you felt any offense from anything you've read, said, encountered? So we got some people that have already had offenses. And that's good because that only proves what Jesus told us, doesn't it? Because Jesus said offense will happen. It's not like it might come your way. It's definitely going to happen. So you need to be prepared and ready and know what to do when offenses come your way. And so last week we, we looked at a, a couple of building blocks here where we talked about Jesus telling us that these offenses come and the way that we see offenses in two stages. And we said the first offense that we see is the feeling of offense. Like I feel like I've been offended. There's something that has happened. Like someone did something that made you feel maybe taken advantage of or you got overlooked or, you know, something. There's this emotion that you get. Maybe it's when you read something that you feel like is about you and the thought is that I feel offended. It's an offense. And then we said there's a second stage to this. So there's a feeling of offense but there's also the choice to live or to not live offended. So it's okay for you to feel this way. And that's what Jesus was talking about. That you can feel offended. But on the other hand, what he was saying was, it's not okay to live offended. Because there are certain things that happen in your life that throw everything off from the way that he has wired you to be when we live in states of offenses. And we even said this is the old quote that being offended... It's like drinking poison, hoping the other person dies. It's dangerous and it's deadly. And when we look at these offenses and we think back through our lives, we feel this way, but when the choice is there, there's always a cup of poison, a cup of offense that would be poured into the cup. And what we have to decide to do, although our cup has been poured, we feel offended but do we drink of the cup of offense and let it begin taking root with inside of us? I was going to, somebody told me that being a Gamecock fan, they were surprised that I didn't fill this cup with orange. But, um, but Gamecock people can be uh, loving Christians as well sometimes, just not one game a year. We, we backslide. Anyway, there's this choice to be offended. You got to decide if you're going to drink the cup or not drink the cup. Are you going to drink the poison or not drink the poison? What do you do when the cup comes your way? Now, I want us to look at a story, and if you have your Bible, you can open it to 2 Kings chapter 5. That's where we're going to be this morning. But I want to give you a little bit of background about what's happening in this passage. There's a guy named Naaman, and Naaman is this commander of the Syrian army. He's a great man, highly respected, leading war after war and battle after battle with the Syrians. The Syrians go to war with Israel and they went. The Bible actually says that God gave favor to Naaman so that they would beat Israel. And so Naaman is this man of power and authority. And there's one issue with Naaman. Naaman has leprosy. So leprosy in this time period, especially in Israel, is a crippling disease. Not crippling physically, crippling to society. You couldn't participate in certain things. You couldn't have certain relationships with people. You couldn't go into certain places you basically were living quarantined. Anybody know what that feels like? 
Like, you have to stay, there is a, there's more than a six-foot distance between people when you had leprosy in the Bible. And so Naaman has this leprosy, and it's crippled him. But yet, he's this man of power and authority and leading battle after battle. But this one ailment just keeps coming back to attack. So Naaman will go over to the, the king of Syria and say, listen, I have this disease. I need something to happen. I need it to go away. Well, when Syria would go to war, what they would do is they would take slaves. They would pull people. So we know from the passage in 2 Kings chapter 5, there was a young girl who was an Israeli, and she was taken as a slave, and she is working as a maid for Naaman's wife. She overhears this conversation with Naaman talking about his leprosy and how it's crippled him and it's bothered him. He's having these conversations with his wife. He's going to the king, and she says... There, and think about it, if anyone was to be offended and hurt, it would be her who's been taken into slavery and mistreated. And she says, there's a prophet in Samaria. If you go back to Israel, in Samaria, there's a prophet, and he can heal you. So Naaman goes back to the king, and he tells the king, listen, I hear there's a prophet in Israel. He can heal me. Please do me the favor and grant me access to go and visit Israel and get the healing that I'm much looking forward to. So the king writes this letter, and he sends Naaman to Israel. Naaman goes to the king of Israel, opens the letter, and he is ticked off at the letter, because the letter states from the king of Syria that, hey, I hear you have the power, and your God can heal Naaman. I'm asking that I'm sending him to you. You heal him. Well, the king was like, who am I, a god that I can raise people from the dead and make people alive again and kill people? No, he tore the letter and he tore his robe in just anger that, that this request would even be asked of him. So Naaman feels like all is lost in this moment. But this is where we pick the story up because Elijah, Elisha hears about Naaman's predicament that he's in and he hears that the king has been bothered. And so we pick a story up in 2 Kings, it says, So Naaman went with his horses and his chariots, and he waited at the door of Elisha's house, because Elisha told the king, Just send him to me, so that he knows who the real prophet of God is here in Israel. So Naaman goes, and he's waiting outside with his horses and his chariots, outside the door of Elisha's house, just waiting on him to come out. Now why is Naaman there? He's there to get the healing. He's there to get his leprosy taken away. So he's sitting outside the door, it says, but Elisha sent a messenger out to him with this message. He said, go wash yourself seven times in the Jordan River. Now you can imagine how Naaman felt. Do you not know who I am? I am Naaman. I'm a great commander in Syria. You can't even come out the house to greet me? That you send your messengers to come and tell me what to do? And he's offended. You can, you can imagine. He's traveled a long way for this. And he feels like something is owed to him. And so it says that he waited and he got this instruction, go and wash yourself seven times in the Jordan River. It says, then, if you do that, then your skin will be restored and you're going to be healed of your leprosy. And that's what he was looking for, wasn't it? He was looking to be healed of the leprosy. But he's not getting the healing because he's living in a state of offense. Because he's ticked off that he expected something 
and he's not getting what he expected. All I needed was for Elisha to walk out and at least look me in the eye and tell me what to do. He says, then your skin will be restored and you'll be healed of your leprosy. But Naaman became angry. It's like going to the doctor and telling him you're not feeling good, and then he gives you what the antidote is to get rid of your ailment, and then you get mad because you don't like the treatment option that he gave you. And Naaman becomes angry, and he says that he stalked away. He said, I thought he would certainly come out to meet me. Did you miss the good news, Naaman? Did you miss the news that you could be healed? Because your anger got in the way, your offense got in the way of the good news that he gave you. So he said, I thought he would certainly come out to meet me. And he said, I expected, I expected, I expected him to wave his hand over this leprosy and call on the name of the Lord, the God. I expected this. I expected God to heal me and, and him wave his hand and do it personally, not give me some instruction to go down to the Jordan River and dip myself in the water seven times. And look what he says, aren't, and this is, this is Naaman questioning. Aren't the rivers of Damascus better than the rivers of Israel? The rivers of Israel are dirty. The Damascus River is beautiful and clean. Why would I, a commander of an army, dip myself in the dirty waters of Israel when I could have done that at home in the beautiful, pristine waters of Syria? He's complaining. And then he goes on and he says this. Why shouldn't I just wash in them and be healed? So Naaman turned, and the Bible says that he goes away in a rage. You know, sometimes offenses happen because of our unrealistic, unmet expectations. We get offended because we expected something. Something didn't happen. You know, that's the root of anger, by the way. The root of anger is selfishness. We get angry when we don't get what we felt like was owed to us. And so here is Naaman with his unmet, unrealistic expectation. Because we don't know what Elijah was doing. What was is Elisha? He may have been busy writing. He may have been busy, you know, praying. He may have been busy with his family. There's some family time. There's some boundaries maybe he set. And Naaman just starts judging him because he's not giving him the attention that he needed. Expectation is a huge part of offense. It is a major part of being offended. Because sometimes you and I will get offended with somebody because our expectations weren't met. Sometimes people will get offended by you because their expectation wasn't met. You weren't what they thought you needed to be for them in the moment. You didn't say the things that you thought they needed to say in the moment. You just simply weren't there for them. And this expectation happens, and it's unmet. And expectation, when you, when you realize that people's expectations aren't met, what you realize is this cup of offense also becomes a cup of entitlement, that we feel like I'm owed something. Naaman felt like he was owed something. He comes to get answers, and he gets his answer, but he doesn't like the delivery system that it came with. I mean, if you were really sick, and this leprosy had bothered you all your life, you just take whatever measures you need to to go get in the Jordan. I would have been diving head first into the Jordan, swimming down it, whatever it would take. But he got hung up on one little thing, his expectation. But I want you to watch how the story progresses. The Bible tells us, but his officers tried to reason with him and said, Sir, if the prophet had told you to do something very difficult, wouldn't you have done it? I mean, it's just simple. You think about who his friends are here. These officers, they're under him. 
and they're going up and, and telling their boss, listen, why, why can't you just listen? We're trying to reason with you. We're trying to help you understand. There's no reason to be offended here. Elisha's trying to help you. And he said, sir, if the prophet had told you to do something very difficult, wouldn't you have done it? He said, so you should certainly obey him. So when he says simply go and wash and be cured. So Naaman went down to the Jordan River and he dipped himself seven times as the man of God had instructed Naaman to do. And the Bible tells us, and his skin became as healthy as the skin of a young child. I don't know what young children were like in Israel, but I've had young children, and they're not always the clean. Anybody want to testify to that? So I'm not really sure how to interpret this. But he says his skin will be as healthy and as clean as a young child, and he was healed. There's a couple of things that I want us to pull from this passage this morning that I think that we need to be aware of when it comes to offense, because I think you can live in a state of offense and not even realize it. I realize that you could be sipping on the nectar of offense without realizing that you're sipping on it. You could be holding the cup without realizing that you're holding the cup. So I'm going to give you three things to be aware of when it comes to offense. We ready? We can use this, and here's the good news. You will hear a lot of things when we teach in here that's very applicable to your life. But you'll be able to use this the moment you walk out those doors because somebody's going to tick you off, especially if you're trying to pull out of the parking lot. we got traffic flowing down. All right, let's, let's read some stuff and be healed. Number one, number one thing to be aware of, not everybody who needs help will accept your help. Mm. There's a couple of mmms because it's true. And you will run yourself ragged trying to help them, trying to do things for them, trying to get them to just... I don't understand. Why can't you just do this? And then who ends up offended? You do. Because it's an expectation that I'm going to give you the advice that you came and asked for, and you didn't follow the advice, and you're going out making a mess of your life. Why didn't you listen to me? And now look what the Bible says in 2 Kings 5.12. It says, so Naaman turned, and he went away in rage. You came for help. You asked for advice. I gave you the advice. I gave you godly wisdom. You didn't like what I said, and you went on to do your own thing. Not everybody, not everybody who needs help is going to accept it. You know the old saying, you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make it, can't make it drink. You can lead it, but you can't make it drink. You can do everything that you can try to do, and you can say all the right things, give all the godly advice that you can possibly give. But they've got to accept that. It works the same way with salvation. We don't save people. We minister, we preach the gospel, we share Christ with people, we love people, we do all the things the Bible says, but salvation comes through the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit alone. They have to make that decision if they want us to accept Christ as Savior or not Savior. So you think about it, not everybody who's going to need help is going to accept it. And I, I look at this and I think, if anybody had the right to live in a state of offense, it would be Elisha. Did you not hear what I said? I mean, all you have to do is go to the river and dip yourself, and you're healed. But he didn't do it. Maybe you've been in, like, your together group, and somebody asked for some advice, and you've given them advice, and you'll see it on Facebook, they went the complete opposite way. I mean, we're really struggling financially. All right, well, let's help you get a budget. And then you see on Facebook that they got a boat, and they financed a boat for 30 years at $150,000. And you got offended because they didn't take your advice 
and they didn't invite you out on the boat because you told them not to get it. Never buy a boat. Always have friends who have boats. It's godly wisdom. That was free. That's not even in our notes, so that's a good one. So Naaman, Naaman refuses to take this advice from Elisha. And I know with Elisha, it was probably frustrating. I'm trying to help the guy. But he didn't get it the way that he wanted it, so he left. It's not what he expected, so he left. Unmet expectation. So he dips out. I, I, I think this is a piece of freeing advice. And I, I rewrote this whole message last night because as I was sitting here pondering, I had some conversations this week with a friend of mine who was actually going through a lot of this. And I was like, oof, you're writing my sermon. This is good. Keep, keep talking. I'll keep writing. And one of the things that we came upon and stumbled upon was this phrase that it's not our job to make people make right decisions and right choices. That should take a lot of weight off of your shoulder. We don't have to walk around playing God because we're not. We're terrible gods. My job, your job as followers of Jesus is to point people towards the right way. Teach them the godly truths. Teach them that the paths of Jesus are straight. That's our job. But people have to make a decision at the end of the day if they're going to choose that path or not that path. So when we understand it's not our job to make people make right decisions and right choices, all I can do is offer help, lead, and guide in that direction. It takes the weight off. You've got to learn to care for people and not carry the weight that they have. You can care and not carry. And you've got to learn how to do that because if not, when you think everybody needs your help, because you can become a superhero real quick and then get offended when nobody wants your help and then get offended when you realize that, well, I feel like I got to make everybody make the right decision. I feel like I got to make everybody happy. You will run yourself ragged. You will die with stress. And if you're so focused on that, you're missing your relationship because you can't be pouring into other people if you're not allowing the Holy Spirit to pour into you. There's a big difference with that. So our responsibility is to give godly advice, give godly direction, but it's other people's choices if they're going to stick through with it or walk away from it, if they want to accept it or not accept it. So we have to understand, all right, even with our kids, it's our job to help them make right decisions. But at the end of the day, when they leave our house, we're going to have to hope that they have taken in everything that we've ever taught them, that they can make the right decision. Here's the second thing I want you to watch for. This one's pretty, cuts right to the point too. People can fuel or extinguish your offenses. You better watch out who you have in your circle. You get the wrong people in your circle, they can either fuel or extinguish your offense. Here's, here's what happens. In 2 Kings 5.13, it says, But his officers, but his officers, tried to reason with him. He had the right people around him. So I would ask you to do this. This is part of my conversation this week was, who are the people in your life, in this circle? The people, and if you don't know who those are, grab your cell phone and see who the last five people were that you texted nonstop. The last five people that you have phone calls, that your phone will tell you who those people are that are close to you. Whose house that you always find out, you're just a magnet and you always end up at their house. Those are your people. Those are your circle. And once you find that circle, you gotta begin asking yourself, are these relationships, are they toxic or are they healthy? 
Because if you're in a toxic circle, you will find yourself offended. And you can't be the martyr in a toxic relationship and say, I'm going to help them make the right decisions. I'm going to help them make the right choices. You can't do that. Because it's not our job to make people make right decisions and right choices. It's not our job for that. And these people that are in this circle that can be toxic, they don't want to accept what you have to say. And here's why it's so dangerous. And I think you'll agree with me on this. That offense is transferable from one person to the next. You like, you get your cup. God, I can't believe they posted that. Hey, come here. Psst, look, look, look. Can you believe they did this? Sip this and see if it tastes, if, if you taste the same thing I taste. You, oh, oh yeah, you come too. And next thing you know, you got about five people sitting around the glass of offense and you're all sipping it. Because offense is transferable. And then you find yourself in a position that you didn't want to be in. But I don't want to hurt anybody's feelings, so let me just take the cup and I'll take a sip of the offense. This is transferable. Poison people will tell their stories and they'll vomit it all over you. And then you'll pick that up. And then you'll start to reciprocate the thing, same thing. You can end up carrying an offense that doesn't even belong to you. Look at debates on social media today. It is people grabbing cups that doesn't belong to them, but it was offered, and they take it and sip it anyway, and they find themselves in this toxicity that is killing their souls. Because remember, you said the choice to pick this up. When you choose not to grab the cup, you can have a peaceful and blessed life that God has given you. But when you grab this, there's destruction that comes. It's just like when Eve was told not to eat of the one fruit. It looked good, smelled good, but it had this weird aftertaste of sin and death. And that's the same thing that happens in this cup. I mean, what do toxic people look like? Well, they speak badly about other people. There are constant dramas going on. They criticize everything. Criticize everything. They talk way more than they listen. By the way, in your circle, if there are people that talk way more than they listen, they may need to find a new circle because they're toxic. They play the victim mindset. But when you say something and you call them like, hey, I don't know if this was the right thing. I don't think you should have talked to her that way. I don't think you should have done this. Well, man, they always, everybody's always out to get me. They typically will play the victim. They always have to be right. They will always treat other people poorly, and they'll always try to control you. They're a little bit narcissistic. And you can tell when people are narcissistic, especially if they're Christians, because they'll begin reading the Bible in what we call narcissus. When you read scripture, you study it exegetically. It's called exegesis, where we break it down. What does it say? What's the author writing? But when you read it from a narcissus standpoint, it's like, what do I want this passage to say about me? What is about me? It's, everything's about me. So the goal, by the way, with all, even in these toxic circles, the goal is always restoration. It's always. So somebody asked the question last week, so if someone hurt me, how do I handle that? What do I do when somebody hurts me? Are you saying that I have to go back and have a friendship? No, what I'm saying is you have to forgive them. We're going to talk about that next week. But you don't always have to put people back to the level of trust they had before they lost it. 
I, I trusted you and you broke this trust with me. I'm not going to put you back in that place. Well, that's not a godly thing. Yes, it is. Paul said, live at peace. As long as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. And I've forgiven you, but I'm not going to go back to toxicity. I've forgiven you, but I'm not going to drink of that poison anymore. And the way that I'm going to have peace with you is I'm just not going to be able to hang out with you right now. I'm not going to be able to talk with you right now. Because I need God to do some stuff in my life without having the toxicity to kill it. So Naaman didn't want to get in the waters of Israel, right? He didn't want to get in the, in the waters of Israel. He starts complaining on his little ride home or his walk. I can't believe he told me to do that. He wouldn't even come out and see me, and he's toxic. But look who is in his circle. His circle was saying, hey, Naaman, let me reason with you for just a second. Let me tell you what the truth is for just a second. They could, what would have happened if Naaman's guys would have been like, you know what, you're right, that guy's a jerk. That guy's a jerk. Let's go, let's just, on our way back, we're going to tell everybody that we know how awful this person is. But they didn't because the people in his circle said, listen, he's, I'm trying to reason with you and understand what you're looking for. He's given you the answer for. It will change your life if you understand what he was saying. If Naaman would have had any other friends, it would have been a dangerous thing because the, the people that were in his life were not encouraging him to drink the cup. Instead, they were trying to slap it out of his hand. What I'm saying is you really need to consider who are the healthy relationships in your lives. A true friend will knock the cup of offense out of your hand and they will push you towards Jesus. And if somebody gets the cup knocked out of their hand and gets offended by you, you continue to love and pray for them and give them grace. But it could mean you step outside of that circle of toxicity. Because here's what happens when you live in this toxicity, and this almost happened to Naaman. Don't let an offense keep you from experiencing God's miracle in your life. Because when you're so focused on what happened to you rather than what God's trying to do through you, it will cause massive issues. It'll cause massive issues. Naaman was so close to missing out. He was so close to missing out because he was too busy arguing and fighting with himself and with other people about his expectations not being met. And he's living in this state of offense. And he almost missed it. He almost missed it by living with this ailment for the rest of his life. He traveled a long way to get the answer and then almost misses it because of his attitude. This is a life-changing moment for him. And here's what I want you to see. There was something miraculous that happened in Naaman's life. Maybe you've never read about Naaman before. Maybe you never opened 2 Kings and saw his name. But maybe when you flip over to the New Testament, Jesus talks about Naaman. Look what Jesus says about Naaman. And many in Israel had leprosy. A lot of people in, in Israel had leprosy. In the time of the prophet Elisha. But the only one that was healed was Naaman the Syrian. Jesus called him by name. This dude was an outsider. He wasn't even an insider to Israel. He was an outsider who had come from a foreign land with foreign deities who had come to seek out a cure, a miracle. 
And Jesus points back to his faith that he had even, but if he had stayed in that offense, he would have missed it. What's happening in your life that's offense is causing you to miss the very thing that God's trying to do in us. I'm talking about thousands of years later and Jesus, the Son of God, the creator of the world, is speaking the name of Naaman in a positive light. All these other people, God's people of Israel, did not receive the healing from leprosy, but yet the man, the outsider, received it. He received it. But he was so close to missing. And when we flip over to verse 15, verse 15 tells us that when Naaman was healed, he told Elisha, your God's now my God. I now believe there's a God. And where do you think he took that message? Right back to his false, idol-believing country, proclaiming the, the news of the God to this people. Because he had experienced something. Yes, he was healed physically, but the bigger part of this story is that he was healed spiritually. His sins were forgiven. And he left a man walking in liberty and going back to his country. The, the Bible says his God, it was personal. It wasn't some concept, it was personal, his God. And Naaman, he, Naaman said, when Naaman went down to the Jordan River and dipped himself seven times as the man of God had instructed him, his skin became healthy as the skin of the young child because he was healed. And here's what I want to close with you today. Is that so many times we allow the expectations of other people to keep us from doing the things that God has called us to do. We, we allow expectations of other people to keep us from doing the things that God has called us to do. And we miss out. We miss out. Some of us are living in offense. And we're missing the thing that God wants to do. Just over the past few months of just processing, you know, just personally processing in my life where I've been living in the fence and didn't even realize that I was holding the glass. I mean, honestly, when I got done talking to a counselor, I realized that I wasn't just holding the glass. I had one of those helmets with the silly straws and multiple cans, and I was drinking all kinds of offense. It got so bad that I would see stuff and say, that's about me. They're talking about me. And it wasn't. But I'm holding this and having my silly string, silly straw hat and drinking offense had my attention and my focus and I was missing the very things that God was doing right in front of me. So I had to throw the hat off. Had to throw the cup down. Because I didn't want to miss what God had for me. I didn't want to live in this state of offense. Because drinking the poison, I was waiting on the other person to die as I was sipping it. And here's the dangerous thing. Cameron, do you see this? Do you see what do you see what they did? You want some? Sure. Oh, Dennis, you want you want some, Dennis? You want I mean and this cup was being shared with everybody. And we were all drinking of the same cup. We weren't worried about social distancing and offense. Social distancing knows no, uh, offense knows no social distancing. It will be passed among anybody that wants to be passed among. 
but it, it does deadly things to your soul. But God says he wants to restore your soul. So if we drink of the cup of offense, we will miss out. But let me tell you, don't think because the one offense that you're up against, once you deal with it and it's gone, the enemy will come right back and go, oh, God, he needs some more. He needs some more. And then he will just keep pouring cup after cup after cup after cup, and you will have this full spread of cups of offenses in front of you. And what we need to do is just say, no thanks. You can just go ahead and take the cup and flip it over and say, I'm, we're not drinking any of what you're giving away today. So I want to pray for you because here's what I want to happen in your life this week. I want God to speak so clearly to you today that whatever offense it is that you're holding on to, that the Holy Spirit will bring conviction to that area of your life. Because if that, and maybe you're like, I'm not offended right now. You might, that might be where you're at. And if you are, fantastic. We would love to have your spot. But here's what I want to happen next week. We're going to talk about what that looks like to offer forgiveness through a scripture lens. A healthy forgiveness. Not a, I forgive you, let's go have a barbecue forgiveness. But what the scriptures actually say we need to do. Because I believe that you can't be everything that he's called you to be and live in that trap. Remember we said the word for offense is scandalizo. It means to be in a trap. And you can't fly and move freely stuck. And next week, we're going we're gonna to release some traps. You with me on that? We're going to break some traps next week, all of us. Because I believe there's a, there's a liberty on the other side of this that God wants to do in your life. I really do. So I want to pray for you. I want to pray for God to give you that clarity. I want to pray that he speak to you. Father, we thank you in these moments that you... That you're a God that you could be so offended at us. We carry your name and live like the devil half the time. <laughs> and honestly, probably almost all the time. But you didn't let the offenses that we have caused to keep you from us. You sent your son to die for us, to give us forgiveness, to give us eternal life. And what we're asking in this room right now is that you would convict every single one of us that your spirit would just dig deep in us and begin to uproot these offenses that have taken hold. And today we just ask that we would receive your grace. We would receive your mercy as these entrapments are being broken. And Lord, we thank you for what you're going to do in the room today and what you're going to do in our lives this week, even as we come up against the fence that we're going to follow through with what Scripture says. We're going to be aware of everything that happens. And we pray these things in the holy name of Jesus. Amen.